You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church, and this is our Monday episode we call Hear and Obey when we are reading and discussing. Our aim is really to apply the Word of God, and we are in Exodus 32, verse 15 through 35, the passage that Matt preached yesterday. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, joined today by Matt Grun, who preached this text, another one of our pastors, and Mark Christensen, one of our deacons, and wow, Exodus, I've, you know, we say this every week, so it probably sounds like a, a broken record. These texts, um, I, I think in reading them, studying them, I'm just so aware there's so much more here than, than we could even, you know, in a sermon on Sunday, we really are just scratching the surface. Um, they are not easy texts by any means. Mm. And I think that's one of the beautiful things, not the only good thing, obviously, but one of the great things about expository preaching is mm. that when we work systematically through scripture like this, you just take whatever text is next, no matter how difficult it is. Right. <laughs> Rather than like, oh, this one has a clear, easy to preach message. We can just pick all of those. You come to a text like this, and Matt, thank you for laboring in the word last week to prepare to preach us. I, I know we were you served us well, we were fed and cared for, and um, and God spoke through his word. The, these are um, yeah, difficult texts, and so it's good that we are working our way through. So I'm going to read, and then we'll, we'll talk through it, Exodus 32, verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. 
Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for your word, that you inspired all these words, uh, the, the clear and seemingly easy texts as well as the difficult ones and uh, thank you that in all of it you revealed to us yourself your holiness your goodness your grace and mercy mm-hmm. so help us as we talk about and particularly aim to apply and live out your word in jesus name amen, amen. so this is like you said matt the the second part of the golden calf debacle yeah um first part i, I thought that was helpful you framed it yesterday kind of is like in heaven, the, the what's going on in the heavenlies. Moses is at the top of the mountain with God interceding. Then he comes down to earth and there are consequences enacted. Mm-hmm. Um, order has to be restored in the camp. And uh, yeah, love to just hear what stood out to us. We, that's kind of where we, we start observations. What, what do you notice? Yeah, you know, in studying the text, there was a, I think what, as you were saying, Ryan, yes, this is a difficult task, but I, I would say it's or a difficult text, but I would say the difficulty doesn't really lie in its like clarity. Mm. Um, it's not overly confusing what's going down. It, it's the difficulty of this text is the, it hits a square between the eyes of yeah. the realities of God's holiness, the realities of his, his, his wrath yeah, and the realities good. of his mercy. So there's a, I think that's what's most difficult experientially when reading this text is not asking, well, what could this mean? And more mm-hmm. asking like, how could this be? Yeah. Uh, at, where am I in this scene? Um, so that's a, you know, that, that's when I first read it. That's kind of where, where I was thinking. But also as I read it, I was just, as I first began to dig in, I really was enamored with the, and drawn to just the like I think I said this yesterday, the, the tactileness, the physicalness of this, especially the second part of the scene. Mm-hmm. These are not like the world is not just spiritual. You know, our sins are not just in the recesses of our hearts, and you know, because that's where we would like them to be. Yeah. And I think that's what's so jarring about the scene is that the sin is just so physical. Uh, the worship is enough to be mistaken for war cries halfway up a mountain. Mm. Um, it's such a clear evident physical debauchery that you just can't help but think okay this is deeper than just you know this this thing in my heart that i you know whatever Mm. who cares um so i i just was really that's what really caught my attention Mm -hmm. was just how physical how discernible tactile manifest sin is and we again we deceive ourselves if we say we're not like this that our sin doesn't come out of our hands that our sin doesn't come out of our mouths and come out of the things that we do um mm-hmm. and because i think we want it to stay that way because then we can just deal with us and god in the quiet of our bedrooms and we can just yeah, yeah, ask for forgiveness rather than having to actually go and ask for forgiveness from other people yep and everything about this when you point that out um i noticed that too in reading through it here uh everything from the fact that God's law is not just spoken, but engraved on stone yeah. tablets. Like that's very tangible, tactile. Moses is 
returning, not just with a word from the Lord, but engraved stones. And his response to the sin in the camp is to throw them down and break them. And like you said, helpfully in the sermon, um, that's not just Moses reacting with a short fuse and then doing something like, oh, that was stupid. Why did I break those? No, it's prophetic and symbolic that the law of God has been broken. Mm-hmm. They they broke the law of God. And and here it is, not just, you know, sin is not this abstract breaking of the law. Here are shattered yeah. stone tablets depicting that. And Moses' response of grinding up the calf and pouring it in the water and having the people drink that. Again, very physical. The, the death of 3,000 people who the text seemed to imply refused to repent is also very tangible. And I think those, I think you're right. That that's the difficulty of the text that uh, kind of along the lines of your first point of hatred for sin. It it really confronts us with, do do we think of sin for what it is, Mm -hmm. like how evil it is and, and what it actually deserves. We live in a culture where um, we are just our view of even law breaking the laws that we have as a society Nobody actually deserves any punishment. Mainly what people need is some rehabilitation. And so the idea of anybody actually being punished for their sin, I think strikes us in this culture as just kind of this horrific, like, well, that's awful. Right. Um, it's cruel. But it, it does create a contrast between how do we think of sin and how does God view mm-hmm. sin? Yeah. This tangible and physical aspect that you guys have been talking about directly combats the rationalization that goes on in our heads of, this really isn't that bad or this, you know, I can act in this way at this time and it doesn't not hurt at this anybody time. or yeah, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't harm anybody. And I think you had said this yesterday, Matt, the fact that we know how we ought to behave and yet we go on doing as we please. Mm-hmm. Um, we rationalize away what God has said or what um, is clearly commanded of us in scripture and we turn to our own way. And so that's not clear thinking that's, um, corrupted thinking. Yeah. Um, and so I think that physical, tangible aspect directly combats. Um, and I think it's helpful for us then too to see, um, oh, there are consequences for my sin. It's not yeah. just this um, up in the heavens yep. thing, but it's it's here on earth and affects people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that quote, well, it's a quote. It's a reference to uh, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. He says that the, the basis of all, any clear thinking about ourselves morally is to these two tenets of we know how we ought to behave and we do not in fact behave that way. Yeah. In fact, those are the two things we must have in order to actually do any clear thinking. Hmm. And I think this helps because what the law is doing for the Israelites is it's, uh, you know, and, and I think we can relate just this confusion where we're just a moral mess. We tell ourselves stories. We rationalize away our sin. We, we can get caught up and wrapped up. We need a voice an authoritative voice from outside of ourselves to break through our self-deceit and to say this, not this, evil, good. And, and God's law does that. It, it, one of the functions of God's law is to be a mirror for us, for us to see ourselves for who we really are. Um, and the first step of really moving towards reconciliation with God is is being honest with ourselves and having an honest assessment of our condition. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to get away. God will not let us get away with half truths and half confessions and half, because he's not that kind of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this text describes for us that playing out um, in just a very, yeah, cinematic, very yeah. jarring 
scene. Yeah, it's sobering. Uh, Moses' response, burning in anger, echoes God's response up at the top of the mountain. That yeah. God's wrath mm-hmm. burned against this sin. And, and then when Moses asks that question, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the Levites are gathered to him. And, and then they act out that vengeance. Um, you know, that, that's representative of how serious God takes sin. So mm-hmm. I, I think that first point you made about hating sin, very applicable, um, easy to take from this. Okay, what, what are we supposed to learn and apply mm-hmm. uh, to hate our, our sin the way that God does to see mm. it for the evil that it is, is, is powerful. And then the, that repentance, I think Mark, you were mentioning as well, that point Matt made in the, the introduction about rationalization of our sins. I, I thought that was so helpful. And, and then to look at Aaron, Matt, like you said, we read a text and where do we locate ourselves here? The tendency that we have, it, it is laughable. I mean, it's humorous yeah. the way that Aaron describes what happened. I threw the gold in and out came this calf. Mm-hmm. And I think we're supposed to see the absurdity yeah. in that, that, it's just not believable. He does sound like a, a five-year-old yeah. caught in a lie. Yes. <laughs> and, and you just kind of go, do you really expect anybody to believe that? Right. And yet that is one place where we locate ourselves in this text, how easy it is to rationalize and make excuses and cover up our transgression, thinking that that will help. Hmm. Um, yeah, that, so, so uh, getting at that point you made about, Repent fully. Mm-hmm. Repent honestly. Call it what God calls it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is that's very instructive to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan, I've heard you and others talk about the the idea of being out of fellowship, especially with spouses. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone sinned against the other, they're out of fellowship, mm-hmm. and they should get back into fellowship um, as quickly as possible. I think it's good for us too to think about our sin puts us out of fellowship with God. It's not that God has turned his back on us or has distanced himself from us, but repentance is required. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like we can just keep going on our way and God's still a-okay with me, but um, there is action required on our part. Something needs to change um, to restore that fellowship. And so even I was just thinking about going about my weeks and the moments where I know that I'm tempted to sin and I do sin in anger or whatever, I'm out of fellowship with God right now and mm-hmm. something needs to happen before we can be in a favorable place again. Because if I continue on in my sin, unrepentant, nothing changes. Right. We're remaining out of fellowship. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is a critical point to, to clarify as you read this, the, the shattering of the, of the, the law was not Moses declaring that the covenant has been destroyed forever as mm-hmm. if God right. now had turned his back. As you said, yeah. Now they are not his people, and right? He's, he's not their god. Exactly. It, it's it's more like the covenant has been interrupted. It's mm. been it's been dis, You know, there's no longer the unity. The the fellowship is just the best word. The this relational uh, because that's what the law is. Whether we see it that that way or not, if we see it as as just rules given down, then then we miss the point. The their covenantal obligations that are given by God to us for our good and for the fellowship and main, the, main, the maintaining of that fellowship with him is, how, well, how do we do that? Well, we love God and we love others. That's how you maintain the covenant. So the shattering of the covenantal tablets is not to say that God has done away with it and no longer holds to his promise because that was all taken care of in, in the first scene of mm-hmm. in Exodus 32, 1 through 14. No, it's more of like, all right, 
we're out of fellowship and now things need to happen. Um, and you, that's why like as, as the people of God, we do not, we no longer, we no longer deal with God as judge. Mm. We deal with him as father, which changes everything. Yep. It really does. Because now like I, I give out consequences to my kids all the time and they really do, you know, aren't pleasant. And yet they're never not my child. They're that's never right. not my son. In fact, the reason I'm giving out these consequences, I would not give out these consequences to some burglar in my house thinking, mm-hmm. well, this will make him a better man. No, <laughs> if I, this is, that's just purely punitive to my son who I, who I discipline. It's all for means of correcting and training and uh, training mm-hmm. in righteousness that to, to, for his own sanctification. Um, and that, cha- that just changes the paradigm of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's helpful to see this as uh, discipline from God. There certainly is a consequence enacted against those who are unrepentant, um, but it's also a moment of instruction for those who are repentant, but nonetheless participated in that sin. Um, This has the potential to be a lens for them down the road when they're tempted again um, as a reminder of the seriousness of sin, Mm. Uh, the seriousness of God's law, God's holy and righteous wrath against mm. sin. You know, the, w- when you experience that, when you when you go through the consequences of your sin, even as receiving mercy, and I think that's a there's just a lot of tension in really several chapters here, um, 32, 33, 34, dealing with kind of the complexity of mercy and forgiveness and justice and wrath and consequences. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and yeah, just the, the fact that even where God relents from his threatened disaster of destroying the entire nation, he relents from that mercifully, not because they deserve it. Right. And yet there still are consequences. And that's yeah. often true in, in life that even as we experience God's forgiveness for our sins, then we have to deal with relational consequences yeah. that, that might come about or legal consequences that yeah. might come about or other fallout as a result of our sin. But it's really the mercy of God that enables us to face that and mm-hmm. accept it as like, no, this, this is, what I deserve. I'm willing to face that and, and own up to that and then receive it as God's fatherly discipline and mm. correction, which increases my hatred for sin. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that type of training, that's what the, the, the grinding of the golden calf into the, and then forcing them to drink that dust did. I have to read this quote from, from Calvin. I, I, I didn't, I thought about putting it in the sermon, but well, you'll, you'll see why I didn't, but Calvin says this of, of, why were they forced to drink the ground up gold from the calf? He says this, this then was a kind of cowdery whereby they might feel that the disgrace of such foul idolatry, not only cleaved to their skin, but was fixed deep in their very bowels for thus also was their shame enforced upon them when they admitted the substance of their God of their false God into their belly to be soon afterwards ejected with their excrements. <laughs> Therefore were they compelled to drink and to void a part of their God in order that their superstition might be the more offensive to them. <laughs> wow. That's Calvin, but he's right. I mean, you imagine how that tasted, that water tasted the pain it might cause them that in their stomach. All of it's a teaching lesson to teach them. This is what that God, the, 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 every God makes promises. And this is that God making good on the promise. And it's a terrible problem. It can't actually satisfy you. It won't actually do what it says it's going to do. And so and just, again, speaking of just the physical tactile nature of this text is 
even the teaching tools God gives here are physical and tactile and, and yeah, just gritty, just earthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, one thing you had talked about yesterday in your sermon that I think is a helpful category to have when we're talking about repentance is having it be what is required is unqualified repentance. Uh, it's not just a kind of beating around the bushes, but it's no, I sinned against God. I sinned against you. Um, not just talking about, uh, oh, I, sh I struggle with this or there's a weakness or, um, I tend to do this, but calling it what it is. And I think just that nature of it being unqualified, you're not adding on, but you know, they really made me feel upset and therefore I acted in this way. Yeah. Um, it's nope, this is what I did. Yeah. When we qualify our sin or we, you know, repentance begins with just naming it for what it is. Uh, it usually starts there as you were describing that. And, but then also just like if, if it's, if sin is relegated, if our sin are, are just relegated to tendencies or personality traits or, or whatever, what we mean to imply is, well, I just couldn't help it. Or conversely, I could never change. And that's just not true. That, mm. That's what I mean. That's what I think the text is trying to imply of like, we need to start with just being honest with ourselves. And that begins with recognizing the sin within us and then um, naming it for what it is and repenting of that thing. Because what that shows is what the New Testament then plays out is, well, no, you can actually change. You do not have to be this way forever. Um, no, that's not just, it, it's, a, it's, it's an attempt to distance ourselves. That's what we really see in Aaron. He's trying to hold out mm. the sin away from him and just keep it on the people. Blame shifting. Yeah, in, you know, ab abdicate the responsibilities. You know, they, they made me do it. Look, even to the point of his fashioning of the cap, that's what's so laughable. Is like I just, I just threw it in there, and out came this mm. this yeah, cap. It's minimizing fun. his role, his it, active role in it. Exactly, he's, he's just passive. He was just he's just the messenger. Yeah, and it's just amazing how clear Moses is throughout. Because remember, this is Moses writing Exodus. How clear he is throughout about no, it was Aaron, yeah. <laughs> all the way back in early <laughs> or in thirty two um, earlier in the when it when it actually happened. It talks about him. In using tools to, in to right. forge this thing. Um, and then even at the end, uh, verse 35, then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, he's the one who did it. He is not just a, a, a helpless spectator yeah. to this whole thing. Yeah. Um, and that's just so informative. And again, not unclear, but difficult. Because yeah. now... I needed to name, it just makes me make a proper biblical self-assessment and I don't like what I see. You yeah, know? That, yeah. That's what's hard. Well, and there's that warning there too for leaders, whether it's, you know, in whatever sphere, uh, whether it's a father or pastor, anyone who's leading people, leading them into sin like this, um, you get that warning. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's an instructive text for what, what confession biblical godly confession looks like admitting specifically accepting responsibility personally avoiding excuses where you know the Aaron's tendency here to he depicts all of our tendency to blame other people or say oh you know how it is that you know these people are unruly or whatever so avoiding excuses um yeah accepting consequences that's all um part of a, a full yeah. godly confession. And those tendencies, those, you know, our, our predilections towards 
excuse making. That's what I was referring to when I was talking about rationalization. <clears throat> rationalization, you have the conclusion in mind. Namely, That's right. I didn't do anything wrong. And then all the reasons, you go Whatever looking for to reasons there, yeah. to just make that argument work. But as you see with Aaron, any objective look at it, it just falls apart. In fact, it's laughable and it actually brings more shame because mm-hmm. um, Aaron's shame is evident. Uh, and that, yeah, that's that process of rationalization that we, we talk through with ourselves. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, if you look up rationalization, the definition, I, one that I found was just simply the stories we tell ourselves. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is a story. It's a, a fiction we make up. Um, to present ourselves in a light that anybody from the out from mm. the outside looking in says, no, that's that's not you. You're mm. not that character. Yeah. Th- this scene, you know, it's a famous one in Exodus. It's a famous one, really, in, in the whole Old Testament. Um, probably largely due to just how visceral and mm-hmm. visible the whole thing is, and what a paradigm. You know, if, if the golden calf is a paradigm for human idolatry, and our response to that, our tendency mm-hmm. to avoid and excuse and whatever, um, it it just it puts on display all of that. That's so relatable, and and ultimately, it's a paradigm though of, of God's mercy yeah. and His His kindness to us in Christ, who is a better intercessor than Moses. Yeah. How you pointed out, Moses offers, if at all possible, even right. blot me yep. out. And and Paul prays that way in in Romans when he he is thinking of the Jews, his own flesh and blood and says, if it was possible for me to be blotted out so that they could be saved, I would, I would choose that. And Mm -hmm. and both of them are expressing, I mean, that, that is incredible love to express for, for lost people. Um, like you said, people who just moments before were talking to Moses, like this Moses, we don't even know what's become of him. Who cares about him? Mm-hmm. The fact that Moses expresses that, but he, he can't make atonement himself right. and, and Jesus that he would be willing to suffer the wrath we deserve, to, yeah. to stand in our place, to bear our blame, to be counted as guilty for us so that we could be spared. I mean, we just, how can we wrap our heads around it's why love I like, like that? Moses is talked about as a type of Christ here. And that's true. It's just a type though. Like, right. like you said, Moses, even if God were to take up Moses's offer, it would not have been justice. Yeah. Right. You know, Moses cannot pay for all the sins of all the people. He himself is not a spotless lamb. Yeah. You know, he's done plenty of yeah. stupid stuff himself, mm. as he describes throughout the book of Exodus. Right? Paul, the very same. Jesus really is the only one who could actually make good on that offer. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the only one who actually didn't deserve it. Right. Um, and that's what makes Christ so yeah. glorious, is he really truly is the innocent sufferer who, through his work, the many were made righteous. Mm. That's Isaiah 53. So you, you see that play itself out in Christ that he actually did do what Moses only offered. Yeah. God um, proposed it, not man. Exactly. Exactly. That's excellent. Well, Matt, thanks for how you handled this text. How you pointed us to Christ and helped us think about our own sin and and then our response to that in godly confession, repentance, that we might receive mercy fully from mm-hmm. Christ our Savior. Amen.